Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Friday, April 6, 2012, and this is episode 875 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, today is a Friday. It's usually a day we do listener call show. We're going to actually push the listener call show to Monday, which means we'll push the uh, the email-based feedback show from Monday to Tuesday. There's a reason I'm doing that. I've got a guy. I've been looking for somebody to do an interview with me on CB Radio, not Ham. Not that I have anything against Ham. Just I think they're two different worlds. And I wanted someone that really knew CB to just talk about CB. And Tim Glantz, we have booked in the future, is going to come on and do a show about ham radio. So uh, the the guy that I found to do that is like this really weird schedule. And it just so happens he's available this afternoon. Didn't have an interview scheduled for this afternoon. So Friday shows take me a lot longer to produce than all the other shows with all the splicing, bringing the expert panel uh, stuff in and all that all that jazz. So because I had already done the interview you're going to hear today, yesterday I decided to run that today and push things out. So you're going to get a really cool show today. Today's show is about raising rabbits. And I've had people on that kind of do the rabbit thing before, but today I've got a guy who actually does rabbits. That's like his thing. And he's been doing it for 30 years, so he really knows what he's talking about. And I'll have him on in just a moment. His name is Rick Warden of Rise and Shine Rabbitry. Uh, before I bring Rick on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, ShelfReliance.com. Notice I said ShelfReliance, like a shelf onto which you put things, not self like you yourself. So ShelfReliance, it's kind of weird. What's, what's that all about? Well, ShelfReliance specializes in innovative food storage solutions that allow you to eat what you store and store what you eat on a constantly rotating basis with items like their Harvest 72. That's like their Cadillac, huge thing. Holds over, a, you know, like a half a ton of food, thousands of cans. Check it out. It's really awesome. Or like smaller systems, like their consolidator systems, like the pantry and the cupboard, which would go like in your pantry and your cupboard. See, they're kind of slick with the naming thing going on there. They also have the Thrive brand of long-term storage food. Out of all the long-term storage food, I've actually eaten. Some of the best tasting stuff is in the Thrive brand. Good pricing, huge, huge, massive selection. They basically do two things, long-term storage food and racks to store it in, and they specialize in that, so they do a great job of it. Check them out today, shelfreliance.com, or better yet, go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on their banner in the right-hand margin. You know you're dealing with the official company that way. Uh, again, I, I say this once in a while just to remind you, if you go to my site and you click on the banners, I don't get an affiliate link or anything. It's not about that. These guys pay for advertising. It's just a straight link. It's just that some of the people out there are kind of you know fishy, and they'll find a company that's successful and get a name similar to them and then try to parasite their traffic. I want you to deal with my sponsors if you think you're dealing with my sponsors anyway. So that's one way to do it. Next up today, and I don't think you'll have any problem finding these guys, the Free State Project. The Free State Project is actually a reverse with sponsorship. Free State Project doesn't sponsor me. I sponsor them because I believe in what they're doing. We have a very limited sponsorship program here. I only take 12. It's very tight, very hard to get in. We had a sponsor. We'll remain nameless. You can figure it out if you want to who it was. They didn't do anything wrong, but they didn't do anything to be part of this community. 
They didn't get on the chat boards. They didn't get on the forums. They didn't come to the blog and comment. They didn't want to participate in any contests. They didn't want to give a discount to the MSB. They were just, here, give, here's a check and advertise their stuff. Well, that's not what this community is about. So when I decided to bring on the Free State Project as, as somebody I was sponsoring and give them a slot, that was the company that went away. So that's that's the tone that's that's, that's kind of taken place here at the Survival Podcast, and and I'm going to probably do that with a few other people, but I, I don't really have anybody that I want to push out. But I figure if anybody falls out, there's a couple slots I'm going to give away to some other organizations. Free State went first. What's Free State? Free State is a group of people now numbering over a thousand that have done it, and almost ten thousand who have pledged to move to the state of New Hampshire, to swing New Hampshire to a more libertarian lifestyle. They've made amazing progress. Uh, one one woman, one woman that's part of the Free State Project went into New Hampshire with the goal, I'm going to change the knife laws. They were some of the most restrictive knife laws in the country. They're now the most libertarian knife laws in the country. They become the model for everybody working on getting knife freedom in the rest of the country. And guess what? People aren't stabbing each other and falling over in New Hampshire now, are they? Uh, so that's just one example. They're working inside and outside the system to move uh, New Hampshire and try to make it into the freest state in the union. They believe in voting with your feet. So consider uh, the Free State Project. If you've been looking for a new place to live, a new place to call home, the community there is amazing. And even if you can't move to New Hampshire, if it's not in the cards for you, and it's not for me, even if that's the case, check out what they're doing. There's other ways that you can help with the liberty movement. Remember, we're all fighting for liberty, and what we need to do is fight on so many fronts that liberty stands a chance of victory. Next up today, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Those are the primary ways you can get in touch with me. Uh, off, off, let's say, off of the, the, of the main website or sending me an email. On that note, email, if you want to get in touch with me, if you really want an answer from me, I can't guarantee you're going to get one. I do my best to respond to as much of it as I can, but email far and away will be more likely to get you an answer than a private note from the forum or a Facebook contact or something on LinkedIn or any of that stuff. You send me email, unless it gets spam filtered, I'm going to see it. So that's the best way to get in touch with me, and that email is jack at the survival podcast. Dot com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, and you get discounts to over 32 different supporting vendors. And you get over $150 worth of free ebooks. But the big upshot is support the show at about 18.3 cents an episode per year. That's five bucks a month or $50 a year. Your choice of what billing frequency you want. You could even do quarterly or semi-annually, but most people do monthly or annually. And annually gets you a discount of Ten bucks off of the rest of the frequencies. Uh, but if you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, and just about any first responder, uh, get in touch with me. Let me know what you did and who you are, or who you are and what you are currently doing. Either way, put service discount in the subject line. I'll send you a special discount. Thank you for your service. We'll give you a discount on the member support brigade. And with that wrapped up, uh, let me go ahead and introduce our special guest again. His name is Rick Warden. He's been promoting rabbits for homestead use and personally raising rabbits for over 30 years. He feels every homestead should be raising rabbits due to their tremendous impact toward greater self-sufficiency. Rick's company is Rise and Shine Rabbitry, a small rabbitry in Mechanic Falls, Maine. Hey, Rick, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jack. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So, hey, you guys run a rabbitry, and that means you guys breed rabbits and do all kinds of things with rabbits, including eating them. Uh, 
What made you guys settle on rabbits as your, let's say, your livestock of choice? Um, just because of the way they produce. I mean, um, they uh, multiply fast, you know, like rabbits. Um, you, they produce uh, larger litters, um, the smaller spaces they can do very well with, um, and and that's basically why I got started. And, um, I started a lot, you, you know, when I was younger, uh, raising, you know, pet rabbits, and I just thought there was more to, more to it than that. Cool. Where are you guys located? I'm in Mechanic Falls, Maine. Okay. So you're up north, as we say, from down here. Yes, yeah, up north. <laughs> it's cold right now, too. <laughs> and what's, what, what, I mean, how big's your, your operation, how, like, land-wise um, and rabbit-wise? Let's see, I have five acres, um, and we have more than just rabbits, but, I mean, the rabbit I have in, I want to say, uh, I raised some of them outside. I probably got 25 hutches outside. I have a carport-type setup that I have a bunch of cages in, then an old 200-year-old wooden barn that I have more in, so I kind of got them, you know, spread in small areas. And then we probably only use an acre of land uh, for the garden and the alpacas and the rabbits and the livestock type stuff. We try and keep everything closer to the house and easier to take care of and uh, control any predators that may uh, show up. But, I mean, you're definitely larger than the guy that has a, a couple hutches and is just breeding them just for himself. Then. So you're doing some commercial level on this? Um, I used to do more commercial level. I probably have a total of 65 cages now, and I do okay. various different types of breed. I'm not really commercial. Um, I do it mostly a hobby. Uh, you know, I, I sell enough of them to pay for the feed and um, fill the freezer, basically. Do you do you mainly sell then, um, like, rabbits for breeding now to other yes. breeders, or, yes. or do you sell meat? Um, just mainly rabbits for breeders. Um, okay. the meat, there's a lot of laws that you have to, that's entails, uh, and I'm not into the whole, um, you know, paying for something that you shouldn't have to pay for. <laughs> yeah, I, I got you. I mean, there's a guy here that I buy my, uh, pastured poultry from, and if I want rabbits from him, he's happy to sell me, sell them to me, but I buy my birds from him down at the farmer's market, and apparently there's no problem with that. But right. he can't sell me rabbits at the farmer's market. I have to drive like 20 miles out to his farm, and then he can sell me rabbits. So I know there's a lot of government interference there. But if we want to do it for ourselves, it's 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 pretty easy to do. And apparently, if you want to sell somebody live rabbits, that's not really difficult either. Correct, correct. Yeah, you could buy them live and do whatever you want. Um, I, I do have, like, out of the litters I have, if some are uh, growing faster, I'll put those aside and sell those as breeders, whereas the rest um, would definitely go towards, you know, to a meat-type market. So you, I would imagine you guys eat a lot of, of your own rabbits as well? Yeah, me and my son-in-law, it's our food of choice. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 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 could you help me out here one more time, busting the myth that if I eat a lot of rabbit, I'm going to starve to death? Yes, I would be more than happy because you know how many times <laughs> I hear that. Um, wild rabbit is a lot different from domestic rabbit. I mean, uh, domestic rabbits, they have a strip of pure fat that runs from the rear end of the kidney all the way up to the diaphragm. Um, then you also have the kidneys, the liver, the lungs, the brains, the heart. Um, and the skin, and that all has fat in it. Um, so you will not be lacking fat um, from eating domestic rabbit, that's for sure. Plus, when you cook it, you usually add oils and bacon and sure. all kinds of good stuff. There's, yeah, I, I, Wild rabbit, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I would imagine if they're having a bad time and they're starving, they're going to be lean. Um, so, you know, maybe that is true, but uh, as, as far as domestic rabbit goes, it's a bunch of uh, hogwash. 
Yeah, I mean, the, where the myth comes from, the reality behind the myth, as they say, is that the people that experienced this were people that were up in the mountains living on. So, first of all, you get mountain rabbit versus uh, farm rabbit. It's, you've already got a difference in the diet of the rabbit. During the leanest time of the year, it was the only thing that they were eating. And then you get into a point where if a starving being is eating another starving being, they're both going to starve together. Right, uh, right. And, and that's what that's what started that. But, I mean, like my thing is always if you really want something good to eat, get yourself a cast iron skillet and get it good and hot and take a, a good bunch of bacon grease in there and then sear both sides of that rabbit and then throw it into the oven and cook it till it's tender. And you'll have plenty of fat if you do that. Yeah, yeah, and God true. is good, huh? Yes, it is. I mean, and rabbit is um, what they call almost like a, a blank palate. If you cook it just the way you say, I mean, you're going to get the bacon, the bacon the taste in it. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it is very big on taking in the flavors of what you cook it with. Yes. I think it's something that's overlooked by a lot of people. Um, so what, is it, what does it taste like? It tastes like whatever you cooked it with in some, yeah, yeah. on some degrees. And then there is the chicken similarity, but I don't think it's – to me it's not the same. I mean – but I guess if you've never eaten rabbit, it's the closest thing you probably have eaten that sort of is kind of like it. Comparable, yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the texture, I mean, I, I want to say the texture is, you know, a younger rabbit is more like veal as yeah. compared to me as chicken. But, um, yeah, an older rabbit would be more grainy, like, would that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with you. So for people that are thinking, like, I want to do this, I mean, you, you sell a lot of breeders, obviously. So what, what does the person need to think about to get started doing this? And what are, like, some of the common mistakes they're going to make in their first attempt? Well, um, I don't know about mistakes. Um, <laughs> the rabbits teach you a lot as you go on. Um, I mean, the first thing you got to do is start with housing. Um, and then you got to figure out how you want to raise your rabbits. I mean, they can be raised um, a multitude of different ways. I mean, I raise all mine in the wire cages. Uh, you can, you know, raise them on pasture. Uh, you can colony raise them. Um, so you have to figure out the management system you want first. Um, I, I, as far as housing goes, I've seen some really, really, some of the best rabbits I've seen in old wooden crates made out of um, uh, crappy lumber, and, and their rabbits were phenomenal because of the time they got put in it, feeding them and taking care of them, uh, cleaning the cages a lot because that would require more management in a cage like that. Um, so housing was the first issue. Um, I, I think that's the most important thing. Um, yeah. Thoughts on on what we we feed them? I'm, I'm imagining you use feed, and but you I, you had like this huge list of things that are like these are safe, these are okay, these are things not to feed. Um, so you get a lot of variety in there, but I guess you use a, a commercial feed as a as a stock uh, primary source. Yes. Uh, what will happen is, I mean, I'm also the, the growing your own feed uh, for the rabbits, and I, I mean, uh, I've drastically reduced my, my pelleted feed just by using uh, garden waste, leftovers, uh, weeds, leaves, branches. Uh, I use grapevine cuttings a lot, uh, fruit tree prunings, uh, and, and that was without even trying to grow food for them. Once I started trying to grow stuff for them, I mean, um, yeah, I could reduce my feed uh, pelleted feed to, you know, 65, 70% in the, in the right weather. Um, but I think by growing even more and, and, um, uh, uh, you know, switching around the feed and, and a lot of different types of stuff, I think you could completely eliminate the need of pellets and grains. What do you grow for them? Um, wow. You got those lists. Um, <laughs> the thing, the thing I grow the most is, uh, you know, stuff we like to eat too. Kale, kohlrabi. Um, I, I do sprouts, alfalfa and wheatgrass for them. Uh, rutabagas for the winter, radish leaves, any of the dark greens, 
uh, Swiss chard. I mean, we even do grass. Um, I dry a lot of herbs in the summertime, the basil, the borage, the chamomile, the comfrey, uh, dill, and then I dry that with the grass, and we make like a botanical blend for, for winter feed. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to cut my, down, my feed down a lot. If, if I didn't have so many rabbits, I think I could get it uh, down where I wasn't using any pellets. You know, that's what I've kind of thought, that if somebody was doing the thing with, let's say, one buck and two does and just producing fryers for the for the household and trying to produce, you know, an aggregate average of three rabbits, four rabbits a month to eat, that you could pretty much, on with, with an acre of ground, feed them most of what they need. Maybe not all, but most of what they need. And I think you could feed them all they need, honestly, in, in less than an acre, I think. I mean, if, if you're doing the wild crafting stuff, if you're finding out about weeds, I mean, dandelions alone are, are I mean, uh, yeah, you, they, you could feed them off that. I mean, you look what a, you know, a wild rabbit would eat. I mean, that's what, you know, domestic rabbits originally ate in the first place before pellets. So. Yeah, I know I've always, like, remarked that people will say, I try to keep rabbits out of my my garden, and... We had a huge garden when I was a kid at my grandfather's place, and the whole yard was full of mostly clover. And we had never had a rabbit in the garden. It was like, why am I going to go there when I have all this beautiful sweet clover and dandelion to eat in the yard? And every summer evening, there'd be five, six cottontails hopping around the yard, and somehow they knew to disappear like a week before hunting season. Um <laughs> But I, we just never had a problem with them because that's what they seem to prefer. One thing I didn't see on your list, and maybe I missed it, but I didn't see it, that to me seems like a good feed is lamb's quarter. And, yeah, that actually should have been on there. but uh, It was lamb something, but it wasn't quarters. And, okay. I, I mean, the, the way that stuff grows, it grows like, you know, it grows as tall as a corn plant. And and uh, it has a lot of protein in the seed heads as well. I don't know if they'll eat that, but it would say yeah. I eat them, so I think yeah, they would. Yeah, they would, yeah. I mean, they, I, I, I feed them a lot more comfy, and I think just that I don't know how well the lamb's quarter does well in cold weather. Uh, that's something yeah. I'm definitely going to look into. Yeah, it grows like crazy down here. Um, I'll send you some seeds, man. I've got like like a like a one gallon Ziploc bag full of uh, lamb's quarter seed from two plants. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll so, try anything once. <laughs> yeah, I uh, just once you once you do it, you're gonna have it every year. That's that's the the other side of it. I was also thinking amaranth would probably be good stuff for them too, and that's pretty easy to get that stuff to grow. Yeah, and and I'm not um uh, I don't grow a lot of grains because I mean you could I I mean I feed them sunflowers when I grow that too. Yeah. Um, they love oats, so I mean I I have a little area I'll sow some oats and cut it with a sigh and toss it in their cages. But yeah, yeah, I mean I try to do a variety of things. So. I was thinking the amaranth more for the greens though. I mean that's. Just because, like, that's another thing I had, like, I planted, like, five or six little red amaranth plants one year, and then, like, the next year they were growing out of the gravel next to my pool and, you know, around the other side of the house, and then I don't even know how it got to the front yard. Uh, that's, but that's that Hopi red dye stuff, and that'll grow well in your area, by the way. That sounds good. I do mill it. dark color. You've got to wait to get rid of the last frost, though. If you, if you plant, if it gets a, just a touch of frost, it'll kill it, so you got to plant it late in the year, but it grows fast. Oh well, that's good. Yeah, I'd have to have something that grows fast. So, um, yeah, because what? How many days, frost-free days in a row do you get up there? <laughs> uh, well, Memorial Day is usually the first. You know, you could start planting stuff in the ground. I mean, I right. usually have a hoop house, and I do run stuff a little earlier than that. I mean, my garlic right now is just barely popping out of the ground. I got you. Um, and October, usually the middle of October, that's the end. Yeah, you're gonna hate me. I've got watermelon growing. And <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah, I can't handle the heck though. 
uh, peppers, tomatoes, and I've even got some little green tomatoes on my cherry tomato plants already. Wow. And, yeah, wow. and I'm and I'm just looking at my tomato seeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I well, I remember. I, you know, like in PA, it wasn't quite as far north as you, but it was a very different environment. But you got great soil as well up there. Yes, yes, that's we do. Plenty of water too. So hey, I've got my I've got my housing figured out. I've got my feed figured out. Uh, there's certain rules though, aren't there? Like I don't want to house my males and females together, and when I want to breed them, it, there's a certain order in which that gets done. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. Um, when they're, we'll start with the ages uh, when you want to breed them. Um, you know, most of the time you want to wait till your box is probably five, six months old, even seven months old before you breed him. Your does can go a little earlier. That would be five or six months old. They'd be ready to breed. You always bring the doe to the age. Never, never the other way around. Uh, she's very territorial. I mean, that's where she has her young. Uh, she can be pretty vicious to the to the buck. Um, what I've heard is they've actually there's been times where they've actually castrated the buck. Yes, and yeah, that's exactly what they'll do. And if that's you keep tough, yeah, Man. that is tough. But uh, <laughs> I said I do, and sometimes I feel like the same things happen to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your wife doesn't listen to this. I hope not either. <laughs> So we, so we we always take our doe to the box cage and 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 they do the deed and that usually if they're receptive and ready that usually happens pretty quick pretty quickly yes um I'll let them usually do it twice um then I'll bring her back to her cage sometimes um 6 to 8 hours later I'll bring her back and let her do it again um a couple more times then put her back in her cage uh the does are what they induced ovulators so they don't even drop their eggs until after he's done um them mounting her pretty much as induces her, her uh eggs to drop um, okay then 27 28 days later you make sure you put in an s box and uh you know line it with um straw and hay and throw some shavings in there and uh yeah usually 31 days on the dot she'll have have a litter of anywhere from six to eight times even up to 15 wow now, when when we have babies, obviously that's when they're at their most vulnerable, right after they're born. And is there anything we can, can we that we can do to increase, uh, let's say, infant survival rates? Um, basically, leave her alone. Um, it, it's funny they still have the I want to say the wildness bred into them because they only uh, go into the next box to feed the young probably once or twice uh, a day. Um, and very rarely will you see them doing that. Um, and I think that's more or less because if predators are around, they wouldn't be near the young at the time. Ah, yeah. Um, so they still have that, you know, they still have their natural instincts in them. Um, just make sure it's warm and dry. I mean, uh, usually she pulls hair. Um, if it's a doe, her first litter, sometimes they don't pull enough hair. Um, their hormones, uh, cause their hair to release at that time. So you could actually pull their hair out very easily and almost, um, line the nest and cover the young with her hair yourself. I mean, the, the, most of the problems you're going to have are with those with first-time litters. And, uh, okay. Yeah. So they get some experience under. So, yeah. so they need to learn just like we need to learn. Um, do they do do does ever get fairly protective of their of their young to where it, they might bite you or claw you for approaching or anything like that? I've heard stories. Um, if I have anything that's even close to that, uh, I would don't want that in my line. So yeah, she'd probably she'd become get a pot. A pot yeah. Though. Yes, yeah, she'd she'd end up in the cull pile. I would imagine. Yes, and I think there's a place for that too. Like certain traits and characteristics in your animals that you don't like. Well, get get those genetics out of your line. Correct. That's, 
that's something that I think sometimes people are like, well, you know, they're, they feel like they're losing something. But what you're gaining, you know, is if you're a beekeeper, more docile bees. If you're a, if you're a rabbit breeder, more compliant and or bigger, you know, you can yeah, breed for other effects or, as well. Yes, yes, correct. I mean, in rabbits, because of their uh, the way they reproduce so fast, I mean, it's so easy to change uh, traits and, and um, you know, stuff for if you want larger loins uh yeah i mean for six generations you can pretty much have what you want by by line breeding and and, and keeping track of stuff yeah it makes me think back to my days of breeding reptiles and breeding snakes and having to you know put weight on a snake for two and a half years before i could breed it once and then finding out the head trait that i was after wasn't there and with rabbits you could have had that figured out and eaten the rabbit twice and been three three levels down the line by then um so my other question for you is what breeds? You had a breed. I can't remember now. I'm on your blog looking for it, but it was like a silky or something. Silk fox, maybe? I, I don't know. It was, the silkies I used, those are chickens. and those. No, things that's like, not it. Yeah. it was, I'm looking for it now. It was something you'd mentioned that their meat's great, but their pelts are great as well, oh, and they satins? come in dark colors. Satin, oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they are an awesome, uh, I want to say, dual-purpose breed. M- most of the uh, heritage breeds were. They were bred for fur and meat. Um, and, and the satin uh, will produce the, the same amount of meat a little bit longer on, on less feed um, than, say, the New Zealand white, which is the you know high-production. Um, every time you hear a meat rabbit, it's usually the white rabbit with the red eyes, and, and that's usually a New Zealand white. And those are good rabbits, don't get me wrong, but... The satins, um, I mean, you get a better benefit, a better pelt, um, and less feed conversion, and better keep feed conversion also. Yeah, I found them, and I'm looking at them now. They have a beautiful pelt. Yes, that was the, I think the picture on those were the chocolate satins. Those are Correct. Yes, and I have um, um, blue ones um, that are, oh, they're like a grayish blue color. They're really awesome. And then they have the, the all those colors, what they call an otter, which has a lighter color. And the pelts are awesome. I mean, you make blankets out of them, and... Yeah, they're really cool looking. And you had mentioned this sort of in passing, but when I was reading your article, that they take longer to grow up to, let's say, fryer size, but they use less feed to get there. Yes, um, it was 85 pounds of feed for the satins, and I believe it was 100 pounds of feed for the New Zealand whites, and they were both eight in a litter. I believe they were uh, two weeks or a week longer than the, the New Zealand's. So that's 15% reduction in food requirement. So for somebody trying to do this type of thing we were talking about, it might be a really good breed. And then, you know, the rules of survival make everything have multiple purpose. Yes, yes. I mean, and that's what the whole thing is. I mean, I'm big into the homesteading, uh, um, the, the whole the rabbit with the su- sustainability type thing. I mean, it's an awesome animal just for uh, sustainability and, and, and running the farm. Um, I mean, I grow worms under there for for the chicken feed, for vermicomposting, uh, and pelts. I mean, you got the greatest manure, the awesome, awesome poop. Uh, and, and there's so much more rabbit, you know, with the worms, there's other stuff you can do. I mean, it all adds to income and help um, paying for the feed if you're using regular feed or buying something else or bartering. Or not purchasing something. Like if I have uh, uh, even a, a relatively small operation, like I said, maybe a two-dough, bu- two one-buck with growing out my fryers, that's a lot of poo. Yeah. And that's all organic matter. I don't have to purchase or bring in off-site. And like you said, it's great. And it's kind of weird when people say that you know poo's great, but it doesn't smell bad. It's nope. easy to handle, and I can I can use it without composting it. I can put it straight onto the garden, and there's very few manures that are that kind of a cool manure that you can do that with. And 
rabbit poo doesn't. I mean, ch- ch- an area that chickens hang out in begins to smell after a while. You can do what you can to keep it down, but rabbits don't have that stink to them. I guess it's because of what they eat. Yes, I agree. Um, the only thing that really stinks with rabbits is their urine, and that, that's yeah. about it. Yeah, it's similar to cat, and <laughs> but not as bad. Yes, I um, agree. Do you have any problems with predators getting to your your, your rabbits? Um, my cages are usually up pretty high. Um, most of the pro- predator problems we have are uh, the poor Muscovy ducks or the silkies or the chickens. They usually get the wrath of it. Uh, I-, I think I have a radio that usually plays in the rabbitry on low volume. I think that might keep them away. Uh, my cool. wife has, has alpacas, and those are, uh, uh, yeah, they don't like dogs too much. So. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind of uh, defensive. I- I've heard that they kind of do look after things a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they just for some reason they just don't like dogs. You'll see them all get in a circle. Their tails will go, tails will go up, and I usually know. Oh, that means Rick get the guns. So. <laughs> yeah, I got you, I got you. So, um, I guess my other thing was you mentioned that you feed your rabbits comfrey, and it, it they they really like it. Yes. Um, Is there a reason that you like decided like? Because I mean, there's people that are like afraid of comfrey or whatever, but I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not either. Um, I think it's it's called like I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's like the allatin or something they found in it that causes cancer under certain um, conditions. I mean, I've been feeding it for rabbits forever, and I mean, when you butcher an animal, if they have cancer or anything like that, you'd know it. I mean, uh, and I have yet to ever find it in um, uh, anything I've butchered my chickens, my pigs, my rabbits. I mean, they and like never seen any detrimental results of it. Easy to propagate uh, three times a year. That's up here, so I mean, I think it's good stuff. Okay, real cool, man. So, I mean, another thing that you're looking to do here is create a lot of self-sufficiency. So, I mean, it, it seems to me like rabbits provide a lot of that. Yeah, yes, I agree. Um, I mean, uh, I, I I say it's like the 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 you know world of uh, rabbits it, with rabbits in the middle on the farm, and you know you have different offshoots of it. I mean, the main reason we grow rabbits is for meat, um, for human consumption. Now you could feed dogs and cats. Um, you could use that as a trade item, um, and then um, you know rabbits. They also have you know uh, end result. They call it a waste, which would be manure. Uh, you use that as a fertilizer or it's also um, an awesome compost activator um, and then you turn use that for growing more food for the rabbits or more food for human consumption um, you can raise worms in it uh, I use the worms uh, for vermicomposting and, and I trade worms I uh, sell worms uh, I use the worms for poultry feed um, then they say they not, another waste product you would have would be pelts um, and, and it's not really another waste product. I mean, you got use it for clothes, for the warmth, uh, make blankets, hats, and then again, you have another trade item or barter item uh, from that. Do you have a uh, an article that I'll just point people to on your blog about tanning hides? But could you give like the basics of it? Because I think people look at it as like some mystical thing, and it's like, hey, guys, you know, just a few hundred years ago, everybody knew how to do this, so it's not that complicated. But there are some things you have to think about and do properly. Correct. Yes, yes. I mean, I um, the way I do it, I actually have the recipe on the on the site. Um, I use battery acid. It's just because I happen to be a mechanic. It's easier to come by. Um, and you'd use, um, I'm just thinking off the top, I believe it's like four ounces to a five-gallon bucket or something like that, um, and salt. And then basically use that as like a pickling solution to put the, 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 the pelts in. I, I do freeze them until I have, 
you know, if I'm just butchering one or two rabbits, I'll take the pelts, I'll toss them in the freezer. Um, when I get 12 or 15, then it'll come time to, I'll, I'll tan them and, um, make that mix up. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking into now to try and brain tan them. They say, uh, every animal, the size of their brain has enough, uh, brain matter for tanning their particular pelt. So that's something I'm going to try myself. And I'll try and post results of that when that happens too. Cool. Cause that, that gives you another level of self-sufficiency. So you Correct. have access to the acid now, but long term, you might not have access. So having that, you might not switch to that's what you're going to do all the time. But knowing how to do it before you need to is a good idea. Yes, yes, and I know you can do egg tanning. Um, uh, I know the Native Americans even used uh, urea, which they peed on, uh, peed on the uh, oh. hands. To, so there's, there's other ways to do it, and I'm actually actually compiling all that information right now to do another post on that. Awesome. I, I've never heard of egg tanning. Yes, uh, you use an egg, a chicken egg. Wow. Crack it on there and rub it in, and uh, yeah, it's something I never heard of either. So I'll have to look that one up. That's yeah. and it's cool to learn new things like that because it's an example of like you, you you know you could be in a situation where you need to tan something, you don't think you have what you need, but you really do, and what's missing is not the component but the knowledge. Yes, the information. You're right. Yeah. So um, my other thing that I wanted to ask you about was. Uh, when so I've got my operation going now, and for people that might be new to this, they get to the point where okay, now all these little fuzzy bunnies, it's time for them to start graduating uh, to Skilletville, and they maybe have never been through the process of slaughtering and butchering a rabbit before. So yeah. that might be a mental challenge, but physically, what needs to be done to do it right, humanely and cleanly? Um, yes, and on that note, um, I, I, I want to say that if you're going to raise rabbits for meat, make sure you can do it. Um, just because a lot of people, they'll buy rabbits, and now they, they get to the end results, and they can't do it. Uh, unless you have somebody around that can that can slaughter them for you. I mean, you got you got to let you do it. I mean, you got to put aside your feelings. I mean, that's what you're doing it for, self-sufficiency. Um, now's the time to do it. Uh, there's a few different ways to do it. Um, I, I used to start... The, um, uh, have like a piece of stout pipe and I'd whack them right, right behind the ears. Uh, they'd go unconscious right away. I'd hang them up, slit their throat, uh, they'd bleed out. Um, the other way to dispatch them is what they call the broomstick method. You can use like a three piece, three foot piece of rebar. You put that, um, put the rabbit down on the ground so it's almost facing away from you, sitting on its natural position. You'd take the rebar, you'd put it right across the back of its neck behind its ears. You'd put one foot on one end, then you'd put the other foot on the other end. At the same time, you'd pull up on the rear legs. Um, very quickly, the thing, it, it's cervical location. Um, I mean, it's definitely, it's dead right away. Do the same thing, hang it up, cut its throat, let all the blood out, um, and then you proceed to do the, uh, the, the, you know, the Y cut, just like on any other animal. Um, and do you, I mean one of the things I've always thought that makes rabbits ideal for like the homestead is um, if I'm in a situation where I can't store meat long term, I can harvest that is needed. If I if I go out and harvest even a, a 200 pound hog, I've got a lot of meat to deal with. Where with a rabbit, I can harvest the dinner sized portion as needed. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's, it's stored on the hoof, so to speak. Um, yeah, you don't have to dry it or freeze it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and I think that's another added uh, sustainability aspect to it. And and once you butcher a rabbit, um, 
it's pretty much a small size, same way you'd butcher any other animal. So it's almost like a good way to get your uh, feet wet, so to speak, when it comes into the butchering aspect of animals. Yeah, I mean, if you can butcher a rabbit, just see it as 200 pounds and you're butchering a deer. The the cuts are all, if you want to, if you quarter it down and, and, and or even bone it or whatever, however you would want to do it, it's, everything works the same way, the same way the scapulas, you take the front legs off, everything's identical. Yes, I agree, yes. Um, yep, so when, and then um, you have the, the waists again, you'd have the awful, a lot of people don't do anything with their guts. I mean, pigs will eat those, dogs will eat that. I mean, uh, I've heard people that made haggis with it. I'm, I'm all set with that, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> About the only, let's say, entrail that I like to eat is the one that I see as being completely different from the others, and that's the heart, because to me... The heart is nothing but another muscle, but yes. it's not a lot from one. So, like, I imagine if I ever do start breeding rabbits, I'll do what I do with my doves, which is when I go out and shoot, you know, a dozen doves, uh, it's still not a lot of heart. So what I'll do is I'll throw them in a bag, and by the end of the season, I'll have this bag of a couple hundred maybe dove hearts, and then i you know, get a cup full of them and fry them in, uh, like, garlic and butter and onions, and that's pretty freaking amazing. It um, is good stuff. But, but I'm with you on the heart, or the uh, haggis idea. I... You know, if I ever need to, I guess I can go there, but there's so much other good stuff to eat. But, I mean, you can feed them to your dogs, like you're saying, the extras yeah. and, and, and things like that as well. Yeah, so you not only have a self-sustaining meat supply for yourself, but you also have one for your pets. I mean. And if you even got into trapping or whatever, it's great trapping bait, so. Yeah, and I know actually um, some uh, areas, they do it with, uh, they take all the offal and put it almost in a uh, a wiry cage and hang it above the lake where, you know, bugs would come, lay eggs on it, and the maggots would fall into the water and feed the fish. I mean, you could do that above a hydro, oh, wow. you know, like an air upon it, you know, something like that, feed yeah. fish uh, yeah. and, and this type thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really think of that, but you absolutely could. You could, if you do black soldier flies, you could throw it in your, your breeder tank for your soldier flies. They'll they'll take it right down to nothing. Um, but, yeah, I didn't think of hanging it over, hanging it over a fish pond. That's... That's simple and dual purpose again. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so I've got my rabbit butchered, and I want to cook it. What are some of your favorite ways to prepare a rabbit? Um, wow, uh, there's too many. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways to do it from uh, grilling it to uh, crock-potting it to, um, yeah, dumplings. I mean, anything you can do with veal and chicken, you can just substitute a rabbit instead. But um, what I like to do is I like shredded rabbit because I can do so many different things. I'll take a couple rabbits, I'll put them in a pot of water, uh, just barely cover them with water. I'll let it boil uh, and then reduce it to a simmer there for uh, about an hour and a half just so you can take all the meat off with a fork. Um, and you can make um, buffalo shredded, you know, take buffalo sauce and, you know, uh, put it in salads. Uh, I, I use that for, you know, like my weekly meat for work, um, tacos, all kinds of stuff. And, it, you know, that's one thing. I mean, when you're going to eat a lot of rabbit, you've got to get different types of stuff. Uh, yeah. Lime rabbit's really good. <laughs> it's so soups. I mean, you could do anything. Yeah, I when I was down uh, visiting Marjorie uh, at uh, you know the lady from Backyard Food Production, yep. she made me rabbit enchiladas. Sweet, that was freaking good. Yeah, that and was, you wouldn't even known it was rabbit. 
I, I wouldn't have if she didn't tell me. And if my wife was with me, we just wouldn't have told her, and she would have never right. known. It was it was very much like chicken when prepared that way. It would have been impossible to know the difference, except that it was it was really good and it was very clean tasting compared to like commercial poultry. Yeah, it, it's funny. My wife won't eat it either. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, it's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is with all of that up there. Yeah, she gets hungry the enough, she'll eat it. That's what I say, but she says no. <laughs> She'll probably eat the rabbit feed instead. <laughs> I mean, as far as health goes, when you made this a major part of your diet, did you notice any improvement or anything like that? Yes, I mean, it is the best, healthiest meats there are. Um, it's, you know, the best white meat. It's got a high percent of um, easy digestible protein. Uh, it's got the least amount of fat of other meats, less calories. It's almost cholesterol-free and it's got less sodium, so it's great for people with heart problems. Uh, they also actually, actually have an, uh, um, iron, copper, zinc, uh, what is it, vitamin B2 uh, and B12, and I know that those are really good for you. So, I mean, it's it, you get a lot of stuff out of a rabbit. And, um, I mean, to me, my big concern is taking care of them in the heat of summer. You probably have to do some things to take care of them in the cold of winter. True. True. Um, in, in the wintertime, I mean, I, I, I've bred them pretty much so they can withstand this weather very, very well um, by selectively breeding. Um, they, they do have in Italy, they actually raise them in ground. Um, they have like an outside cage with a, a small round tunnel that goes into, I want to say, almost like a, a cistern uh, underground, which you know, during the day in the heat, they'd go in there. Um, at night, they'd come out into their cage. They'd have, you know spend the night outside and eat and then go back inside during the heat of the day. And from what I understand, that works really well. Um, even here, because I bred mine for cold weather, if it gets anything over 85 degrees uh, to a, up to 100 degrees, I mean, my, my rabbits, I, I freeze water bottles. I put cold burlap on the side of the bat, you know, the cages just to keep them cool down. Now, I, I would imagine this keeps you tied to your place quite a bit because, like, one of my concerns and why I haven't done this yet, I have people going, Jack, when are you going to get rabbits so I can see how you do it? And all I'm like, I, I travel so much. So I, I'm concerned with their care when I'm away. Yeah, um, the only other way, I mean, I, I know people that have raised them in colonies, um, and that's one of the benefits of the colony is, is basically, you know, they could put a couple of weeks' worth of food out there, and because they're in a bigger fenced-in area, uh, they can pretty much fend for themselves, whereas you're right, I'm pretty well tied down uh <laughs> yeah but i mean my Someone's idea do it. yes and i like doing, i mean that's basically my vacation i'm i'm a weirdo i guess i i like <laughs> my work a week i don't want to leave the house when i'm done gotcha um so i mean that's probably a good thing for people to think about then too like if you're getting rabbits from a breeder it would be probably a good idea to do it locally rather than you know mail order type things or whatever because if you have a big difference in the geography where the breed stock comes from they're not really accustomed to your climate and and that's true because um rabbits in different weather like my rabbits here in maine probably wouldn't last a week in say texas um uh, rabbits grown in hotter weather their ears grow longer um just because that's how they cool their bodies, their their veins are very close to the ears. So the blood pumps through their ears, and it acts almost like an air conditioning. They cool their blood down. So any any type of rabbit that is going to be a hot weather type, or a, it, their ears are definitely going to grow longer than say mine here in Maine. Well, interesting. Well, so, you mentioned you have some other animals you keep as well that you keep as scubby ducks. 
Yeah, Muscovies. Yeah, we. I, I have one poor lone duck left. The fox pretty much got most of those. Oh wow. Yeah, and they and they and actually, you know what the funny part is? They love. Um, I could give put a pile of corn right next to them, and if I'm butchering an animal, uh, they'd just as soon come over and eat the gut pile that's on the ground. Really? I guess yeah, that makes they, sense. I mean, they like fish and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I've heard them. I've heard some weird noises in the pasture. What the heck? You know, maybe you must go be stuck or something. I get down there, the thing's trying to choke down a frog. So <laughs> <laughs> I've heard they're good at eliminating flies too. They're, they're yes, good. yes, they are. And um, it's funny they they stay more away from the chickens. I don't know why. So it's it's kind of cool. They pretty much patrol a different area than say the chickens do. Um, and uh, I'm definitely going to get some more this year. Uh, I'm just hopefully the fox is gone for good. Well, he is gone for good, but hopefully there's no more to take his place. <laughs> yeah, there's always another fox. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like government, you know. There's yeah, always yeah. another fox. <laughs> yeah, I can bury a fox. <laughs> and then you keep alp- alpacas. Yeah, that's what my wife does. She's um, big into the fiber fiber thing. She makes her own yarn and uh, basically. Like probably right now she's probably in the house spinning yarn. <laughs> oh wow, and that's that's yeah. a pretty good market too because I mean we have some friends and uh, the the wife of the couple is very big into the knitting and stuff like that. When we were up in uh, New Hampshire, we went and got some locally spun uh, wool, and it was wasn't cheap. It was it was fairly expensive. Yes, and if I could just get my wife to part with it, maybe we could make some money uh, with it. <laughs> <laughs> so how many how many things do you have? Uh, we, uh, that's her thing. I, uh, we have eight, probably around eight about now. Uh, we get, um, all the males that, uh, I mean, for a while they were $1,000 for a female. Well, now you can get a male for a hundred bucks. Okay. So, I mean, we basically get most of the males, um, that are, have decent fiber and, you know, a lot of her friends have farms and when it was big, they were doing good. Well, they, you know, now they get a male and it's just another mouth to feed. So I'm sure they'll end up with more before the end of the summer. Okay, so that's one of those markets that went through that cycle, kind of like people did with ostrich and emus when that yeah, took off. Yeah, it's funny you just said that. There's a guy that's local to me, and uh, he buys, you know, he has a small rabbitry where he does it. He just emailed me. He wants to trade some emu chicks for some rabbits. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> They're 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 good eating too. They're just that's like a dinosaur that you're taking care of with one of those things. They can, yeah, they're a big beast, you know. They look uh, a little scary. Yeah, they do. They do look. They, they look like a dinosaur, man. You know, they they, they look like you know something from Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, and then you exactly. got you mentioned some chickens. You got some silkies, I guess, or your yeah, birds. I, I have I have silkies. I just keep them in the rabbitry. I used to have like uh, game bantams, and basically what they did was stir up the poop, keep it dry. Um, if there were any bugs in the rabbitry, I mean, they basically ate them all. Um, I have to cordon them off at certain times of the year when my my worms are up a little higher in the worm bins, but. Uh, yeah, and and then we have you know egg layers and meat birds every year. I mean, we pretty much try to grow our all our own stuff. My wife's usually, I mean, she stays home while I work and we do the candling, picking, you know, pickling stuff or drying stuff or you know she gets to do the daily chores too while I'm at work. So. So yeah, and you, I mean, it's not like you're a full time homesteader or something. You have a day job. What do you do in like the daily regular world? Um, I actually work on construction equipment. Um, right now I'm working at a rental yard, and uh, I drive a couple hours every day to, you know, an hour in, an hour home, and, and you know, somebody's got to pay the bills. 
Yeah, sure. Do, do, do like any of the people you work with like know about your operation? You know, think are you like it's cool, or are you the crazy rabbit guy? Or? Yeah, I'm the crazy rabbit guy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially around lunchtime when you know we all sit around and eat lunch. What the hell are you eating today? You know? <laughs> yeah, curry or rabbit. You know, it's better than yeah. the peanut butter sandwich the guy next to you has. Yes, exactly, and they, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> So you mentioned keeping rabbits as, like, pets when you were a kid. Did you kind of grow up with this, or did you, uh, you know, I mean, the whole homestead concept, or did you kind of uh, come Mostly, to- yes. Yes, my grandmother was big into it. Um, she grew a lot of this stuff, and, you know, my mother, uh, you know, she taught my mother how to can, and it's funny when uh, me and my wife got together, my wife was more, um, uh, you know, suburb-type, city-type person, and... uh you know, my mother taught her how to can, and, you know, now she's really into it. She's, you know, I mean, uh, we had problems with squirrels getting to the house. She would never kill anything. And I'm looking at her dropping a have a hot trap in the rain barrel, you know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy. So she'll, she'll have a heart, the, the, the squirrel, right into the rain barrel, but she won't eat the rabbit. That's, I know, I know. She'd leave my house alone. <laughs> yeah, I just did. My wife's never been really big on like eating anything other than the, the you know the, the basic stuff that comes from the store. And I cooked a duck last week, and like she was hungry, and I didn't cook anything else. And that was the plan. And she's like, "That was amazing." I'm like, "See, just." And then I took the carcass and I made duck soup, which that I had never done before, and it it just like blew away chicken soup. It really did. That is interesting. I actually have two ducks uh, left in the freezer, too. I'll have to <laughs> you know, you get a lot of fat from ducks, so yes. what, what I did is I made the stock, just like you would chicken stock, but I made it the day before I was actually going to do the soup, and I, after I was done boiling it on the carcass with the bones and skin and everything in there for the flavor, I took it and threw it in the refrigerator and let the, the fat gel up on the top, and the, all the stock almost was kind of gelled, but the fat was all at the top, and I, I skimmed that. And the broth that I end up was super clear, but it was dark compared to chicken. It was almost like a light beef broth. Wow. And man, it was freaking phenomenal. I used garlic and onion and shallots uh, when I was doing the stock. And then just carrots and celery and, and fresh parsley and oregano from the garden and picked off the last bits of meat off the duck. And it was freaking – I didn't. Even, I was like, I don't even want to eat chicken soup ever again. <laughs> So now I got to figure out where to get some more ducks because it was my last duck. So I either got to break down and buy some or wait till duck season. Yeah, there you go. I mean, if that's what we do this all for. I mean, it's, you know, you want to have quality food. You want to know where it comes from. Um, it, it's it's crazy. Even the rabbit pellets. I mean, they're they're getting infested with um, chemicals because they're all waste products now. They're all alfalfa leftover alfalfa meal, leftover uh, soybean meal, and, and you know it's not organic meal that they're using in the rabbit. I mean, there's people oh, having sure. problems, got problems with rats all over the world, and you know, well, the country, I should say, and it's, I think it's all to do with the feed. Yeah, I mean, I've thought, you know, you could put in a small patch of alfalfa, and it's perennial, and you can cut it several times a year, and that alone could become a main feed source for your bunnies. Yes, I agree with you. I, I've just never grown alfalfa. I know there's two different kinds, there's dormant and non-dormant, and I don't know much more than that, but I think, like... I actually need non-dormant, and you need dormant, and I'm not sure yeah. that's true. That's that's yeah. that's as much as I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this year I'm actually going to be doing a lot more growing stuff. Um, I was looking for a lot of different 
I've read some old books back and forth in, 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 you know, even in the World War. I mean, they wanted you to grow your own food. They wanted you to raise chickens. They wanted you to raise rabbits. Well, they had a lot of different uh, fodder foods that you can't bring seeds for anymore. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. There was different types of kale, perpetual, perpetual kale, they called it, uh, thousand-headed kale. Um, and I can't find a, a seed source for these. I can find it in the U.K., and you have to buy $70 worth uh, wow. to get it shipped. It's To me, you know, I'm, uh, I don't have that type of operation. But, I mean, it's something that we just used in the 40s, and already it's out. You can't get it in this country. It goes to show you how much we've gone away um, from our own food or, or people just not knowing what they're eating. Well, we might be able to get somebody from, like, the TSP community that has the time to logistically deal with it to set up, like, you know, a a group buy on something like that where, you know, 20 people want to share in it or something. That would be Yeah, I mean, and, cool. I, and I'd be all for that. And it's not just, it wasn't just grown for rabbits. It was grown for cattle and uh, pigs and, you know, it was, yeah, just, uh, yeah, there was, there's a book out that I've, just, I've been reading. It's awesome. It was um, Poultry and Rabbits uh, from Scraps, and it was originally written in the 40s, and they re- reprinted it. It's actually a good book. And I think that's what we need to do overall with our food supply is look more and more to things that are perennial in nature. There's even there's even perennial grains. We've just, you know, gone away from things like that, you know. And that, you know, I, I'm not a big grain eater, but, you know, there's a lot of animals that do well on grain, and, and they can have it. And, um, and we don't need a lot of it then. We just need a little bit for some supplement for certain animals. And I think that we could do a lot more with perennials and uh, perpetual kale, something I had not heard of before. Yeah, they're, 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 you, you type Google it, and it's, it's hard to even find. I mean, I found it, and it's all in the U.K. Um, I, I have even rape. I mean, I know that's a – I've seen that around, but, I mean, even that was a big, big fodder food. It's, it's just amazing how, you know, out of touch the society's become. Yeah, well, I mean, we've forgotten everything, it seems like. It, it took mankind, you know, 10,000 years to gain this knowledge, and we've managed to – iPhone it out of our brains in about 25 years. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It is amazing. But I, I my my encouraging thing is like you might be the crazy rabbit guy at work, but you're probably less of a crazy rabbit guy surrounded by people today than you would have been like 10 years ago. Like people are are to me seem to be waking up to this in in larger and larger numbers. Even over four years of doing this show now, I've seen a big change in the attitude. Like when people say, what do you do? I do a show on self-sufficiency and preparedness and modern survivalism. Oh, you know, and now when I say that, they're like, Oh, where, where can I find it? You know? And it's, 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 it is encouraging. I think. Yeah. I mean, it makes even the guys I, I work with. I mean, I have sold a few rabbits to guys. I, I, um, I have sold, you know, they buy eggs for me. So, I mean, they even from listening to my rants, I mean, they're starting to be like, wow, those eggs in the store are two months old. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, put them in a bucket of water and tell me how many of them float. You know, next thing they're coming in tomorrow. Wow. Uh, you you yeah. got any eggs to steal, you know? And then the other thing is just, just take two skillets side by side and drop a, a commercial egg and a home-produced egg and look at it. And yeah. you're, pre- you're pretty much done at that point. Like, okay, I don't need any more convincing. Um, we're going to get more of these. And the taste is so – like, to me, a store-bought egg has, like, no flavor at all, especially the white. There's nothing there. Um, the yolk's got some, but it's it's weak. And, when you know, I, I don't keep chickens yet either, but when I get chicken eggs from somebody that does, it's it's a totally different thing. Buttery rich. It's, it's Yeah, it's it's a lot different. I agree. <laughs> So um, on on your so your birds they spend a lot of time digging through the rabbit uh, manure you were saying 
Yes, the silkies I do. Um, and uh, basically, like I said, they're um, they're around because they look cool, and because they can't fly on top of the rabbits and poop on them. Uh, I got you. Know, yeah. Whereas the, the game bantams would fly up there to be pooping the feed, and uh, you know it's just a mess. That's just but, the, uh, so. Then they all get named Stu, and they graduate, and we don't do that anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now I have uh, the silkies, and they pretty much live their their life, and uh, you know, out pretty well. And I I have probably 10 um, female chickens right now that are all hiding and sitting on eggs. So when they come out pretty soon, I'm going to have more silkies than I know what to do with. Oh, okay. Then, well, you can... yeah, then usually people come by and I'll sell them, you know, a couple of bucks a piece. And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you don't do a lot of work to produce that. They do all no. the work. And you can always keep a few for meat birds. They're not a bad meat bird, are they? Uh, they, they have black skin. Um, and uh-huh. the only... Uh, the only thing I know that um, I've seen it in Oriental food uh, they, that yeah. a lot of their chicken has a dark colored skin, so I'm assuming that is silky. Um, yeah. They are wicked good brooders. I, I just bought ten chicks at uh, Tractor Supply because I felt bad at uh, one of the hens was sitting on these eggs that had frozen. I know they're oh. not going to hatch, so I waited a little bit. I went down the street, bought ten chicks, and threw them underneath her. She's been brooding uh, ten leghorns, and I didn't think they would take to her because they were yeah. commercially raised, and, and she's raising them pretty well, and there's still oh, ten wow. of them. So, and yeah. she's happy. She thinks she hatched your eggs. They're happy. They think she's mom. Yep. Uh, everybody wins until graduation day. <laughs> yeah, and leghorns, they're all pullets, so they're going to be white egg layers, so it'll be a while before. They, they don't have much meat, so they'd probably go to the dog at the end. But. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you, you see, you, you, you've got all this stuff going on up there, and we were talking about, you know, people with the stereotypes of being the crazy rabbit guy or me, the crazy survivalist, but you're actually kind of in an area in the country that a lot of people take some level of preparedness. Lots of people can the generational thing where mom teaches the the daughter-in-law how to how to do it. That's that's much more common, I think, up where you're at than in a lot of the rest of the country. I agree with you. Yes, and um, when hard times happen, the the good times weren't as high here, so it doesn't affect people as uh, as much as it would say somebody who's making a hundred thousand dollars and all of a sudden they're making 30,000, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We were, I mean, they, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, people are used to getting by. That's basically what it is. And we're happy with getting by. So it's, it's actually, you know, the way life should be, I guess. Yeah. The whole attitude is the, the one big thing I miss about the Northeast, the four distinctive seasons I miss as well. Though the winter can get to a point where you're pretty much ready for spring. <laughs> yes, yes, and it makes it so much better to, like I said, to see that. I mean, I'm staring at the garlic who's just saying, oh, come on. <laughs> come on, come on up. Yes, and uh, when I see the weeds, I mean, um, we're actually early now. I, I just went through the garlic and then uh, there's weeds popping up. So once I know I got weeds, it's time to, like, put my peas in and start, start doing stuff. Well, cool, man. This has been a great interview. I appreciate you coming on the show with us today. And I'm glad you had me. I just I just want everybody to uh, you know raise rabbits. I think it's a good way to go, and I think it's a good healthy meat. And yeah, that's my goal in life. <laughs> and if you've got a blog, it's at folks here. It's a long one, but don't worry because I'll put it in the show notes for you with a link, so you can just click on it. But it's riseandshinerabbitry.com, not with a dot com, but with the word dot com dot wordpress.com. So I'll put that one in the. Uh, and the links for you, but when I saw it on the paper, I just typed in Rising Sign Rabbitry in Google, and it was the first result. So yeah, if you're on your I, phone or something, you can you can pull it up that way. There's a lot of great information that you have on that site. 
Awesome. Yeah, and I'm glad. I'm glad. And you can submit for me on Facebook. I do uh, quick postings every day, a little bit of rabbit, quick rabbit information or some of my crazy rants. Um, and that's, that's it. But, yeah. Well, cool, man. Again, thanks for being with us today. And folks, and thanks for having me. And with that, folks, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Rick Warden, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you.